where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. I'll be the first to admit that I love a little bit of Roundup in my life. Roundup in my life. Here now is your host. He is quite a character. His name is Jeff. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff. Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to the Oregon Roundup Podcast. I am recording today, Thursday, March 9, 2023, early afternoon. Wanted to talk to you about a few things today. One is the ever exciting topic of weather and drought and climate change. The Chinese lab leak theory to explain the COVID-19 pandemic little bit of update on what we've taken to calling Scandal-Rama, Scandal-Rama, Oregon Scandal-Rama in particular. Not much to share there, but thought I'd give you guys an update of that. And there may be a few other things that come up as I'm rambling here today. Before I get into the exciting topic of weather, <laughs> if you're not subscribed to the Oregon Roundup newsletter and podcast, you can go to Oregon Roundup dot substack.com and become a subscriber so you get emailed all the podcast episodes and all the newsletters if you're not a paid subscriber yet you can do that there that helps me to justify spending my time writing stuff and recording stuff and researching stuff and it helps helps a lot helps us to kind of grow what we can do here at the Oregon Roundup If you're not yet subscribed to the Oregon Roundup podcast on your podcast app of choice, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any of the others, it helps us out as well if you subscribe on those apps so that other people who use those apps are more likely to find us as well when they're searching for center-right Oregon political and policy commentary, which I am advised is a very common search term, SEO stuff. So we want to help all those people that are hungry for what we're, what we're serving here uh, to be able to find us, and that's how you can help should you wish. Weather's on my mind today because for the last few days here in Bend, and I think elsewhere in the Pacific Northwest, it's just been miserable. March is not typically a very nice month here. March contains, of course, spring break, which is by law a week of horrid weather that is as unspring-like as can possibly be. March starts off from that deficit from a weather standpoint This early March, anyway, has been particularly bad. I think it's snowed each of the last three or four days here in Bend. It's been cold, windy, very wintry. Portland area's gotten even some snow, although I think it's avoided a second snowpocalypse. It's just had kind of some dustings. California's just gotten hammered by a ton of snow as well. What got me thinking about the weather is my neighbor, I was out shoveling snow with the boys the other morning, as we do, and the neighbor came out and said, well, you know, we've got this snow, but I guess the the drought's still happening. 
to which I said, they'll never admit when the drought's not happening. <laughs> so it was usually I, I kind of keep my little political theories <laughs> to myself when dealing with neighbors because they're all Dems and view the world much differently than I do. And they're good people. And there's no reason to make things uncomfortable. But at the moment, for whatever reason, probably because I was frustrated at shoveling snow for the umpteenth time this winter, I let that one slip. And it it's kind of a long-term... You could call it a conspiracy theory. I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory or not. Kind of theory I've had. Me, myself, and my buddy Andy in law school oftentimes talk about the only news you ever hear is that there's a drought. You never hear about there not being a drought. I think part of that's explained by the fact that traditionally drought is thought of as a as a newsworthy event because it's it's different from the norm. So the norm would be that we're not in a drought. And so the news would cover it when we're in a drought and wouldn't necessarily cover it when we're not in a drought. However, that would require for someone to admit, whoever is in charge of defining when a drought occurs or is happening, to admit at some point that we're not in a drought. And I would argue that the standard in recent decades has been that we are only and always in a drought. I would propose that the news media start covering when we're not in a drought if their understanding and whomever they're getting this information from, their understanding is that drought is basically what we're going to be in. And to take this little thought process farther, I think that the whole climate change discussion has made this even more an issue, at least in my mind, and I'm probably the only person who cares about this, that there is a connection in the minds of people that are insistent that any and all weather events are proof of human-caused climate change and the need to urgently adopt whatever policy that is in theory going to address human-caused climate change as soon as possible. Those weather events are always, you know, it'd be snow, hot, cold, rain, Tornadoes, not tornadoes. Hurricanes, not hurricanes. Drought. Drought's a big one because in our minds, and certainly in my mind, if there's a drought, that's oftentimes it's warmer than usual. The weather patterns are maybe changing because of a heating planet. There's a vested interest in the drought now. And that's true as well with people that want to restrict the availability of water for for agriculture, you can see, you know, if you read the media in Oregon right now and listen to some of the elected officials in the state, there's a concerted effort now to kind of undermine the existing water rights process for the purpose of taking water away from the agricultural uses that have traditionally used it and put it toward fish or salamanders or some other endangered species or just you know, just leave it where it is, is the end, the end result. So with that added incentive, I think it's unlikely that we will ever not be in a drought. If any of you find out that we're not in a drought or anywhere 
I mean, I'm most most cognizant of what's happening here in in the Northwest and especially here in Bend, where we have, I guess, been in a drought for centuries is what it seems like. But if you find any headlines anywhere that where someone is admitting that we're not in a drought, let me know. I mean, this, the stories that I always see are, God, we got just gobs of snow. Because even in recent years, we've had really, really wet winters and even wet springs and wet summers. And the, the stories that cover them are always like, yes, we've gotten a record amount of precipitation. It has been so wet, you couldn't even believe it. But no, it doesn't mean we're not in a drought. It can't mean we're not in a drought. So when are we not in a drought? This is what I'm curious about on this Thursday afternoon. And if you all come across something, please let me know, because I want to be fair and balanced, as they say in my presentation of drought coverage and the existence of drought. I want to be a drought truther. So help me out with that, because obviously maybe my my media and certainly my my scientific knowledge is is limited. So set me straight, Roundupers. Speaking of conspiracy theories, let's move on to the Chinese lab leak theory. You probably heard that in the last couple of weeks, two federal agencies, the Department of Energy and the Federal Bureau of Investigations, have both publicly announced that they now believe that COVID the COVID pandemic originated from a leak, an escape of the virus from a Chinese government laboratory located in Wuhan, China. That theory that that could have been what happened is kind of the shorthand term for it, as you know, is lab leak theory, the lab leak theory. It's something that was verboten, which is German, I think, for you can't say it. In the early days of the pandemic, it was viewed as racist to say that, well, maybe the fact that the outbreak started in Wuhan, and Wuhan is also home to one of three laboratories in the world that is doing gain-of-function research on coronaviruses, (laughs) that maybe that's not a coincidence, that maybe there's something there to work off of. That observation alone was enough to get one deemed at least a conspiracy theorist or racist, just a flat-out racist, because somehow someone decided that it's more racist to suspect that the virus escaped from a Chinese government lab than it was to suspect that it arose from the sale and consumption of odd animals and their meats from a wet market in Wuhan, which was the kind of original theory and preferred theory of those who don't like the lab leak theory. Anyway, last year, there or two years ago, actually, there was this big effort by the Biden administration to get to the bottom of what the origin of COVID was. At the time, they said, they came out and said that, oh boy, well, there's all these intelligence agencies in the federal government, and like five of them say that they think it's not lab leak, and three of them say they think it is lab leak. So, huh, I guess we just can't know. 
that was frustrating. I wrote about it at the time that it was frustrating. And actually, I'd written about this stuff from pretty early on in the pandemic, just because it seemed to me that this was one of the many things that wasn't being talked about in polite circles and should be. And I certainly, by far, wasn't the only one. If any of you read Jim Garrity in National Review, he was probably the best in the world at publicizing why that the lab leak theory might make sense from kind of a really sober and considered point of view. I urge you to check out his stuff if you if you haven't already. So it went from racist and xenophobic to even speculate about whether whether the virus escaped from a lab to now the Department of Energy under Joe Biden. So this is Joe Biden's Department of Energy saying it, that they believe it is. And the Federal Bureau of Investigation, again, Joe Biden's FBI, to a degree, they're a little more autonomous than the Department of Energy. They're just saying it. Yeah, we think it came from a lab leak. Almost certainly, in my mind, it did, if for no other reason than that know, coincidence or would-be coincidence of the existence of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which we know was doing this kind of research on this kind of virus at the time that the pandemic started. I'm not the science, but my understanding of how logic works would indicate that there might be a connection there, and probably there is a connection there. And then you add on to it the way that the Chinese government and then everyone in our government and the World Health Organization that was financially tied into gain-of-function research, including but not limited to Anthony Fauci, obfuscated the nature of that relationship. They denigrated people who talked about the lab leak theory. It just smelled bad, frankly, from the beginning. That's bad, and those people should be held to account publicly for denigrating a theory that is at least legitimate and, in my mind, more likely than not true. But that's not the main point. The main point is that the federal government is – our federal government is inching its way toward the truth or what I presume to be the truth, and that's, that's a good thing. What has changed? When the Department of Energy came out with their announcement recently that they'd come to this new conclusion, they said that there was new intelligence upon which they were relying. We don't know what that new intelligence is, and there there probably is some. But I think another thing that's changed is probably the approach of the Biden administration to this issue. And that's really what's interesting to think about. Because the Department of Energy, for sure, and probably even the FBI, don't come out and say, you know, out of the blue, when no one's really talking about the lab leak theory, say out of the blue, especially with regard to the Department of Energy, that, oh, hey, we found this new information. And we we used to think that more likely than not, the virus adapted fr- naturally from a bat to a pangolin to human beings. Now we we think more likely than not it escaped from a Chinese government laboratory. That's something that likely does not happen without the approval from the top. So from the with the approval of folks in the at the top of the Biden administration. And it's interesting that the timing of of these revelations have come about not long after the balloon, you know, the Chinese spy balloon that 
kind of shocked the conscience of a lot of Americans and really made apparent kind of China's approach to the United States and just the degree to which it's going to gather information about us. And then also the degree to which we were willing to let them do that, I think was shocking to a lot of people. I think it changed a lot of people's minds about China or reinforced what a lot of people were already thinking about China. And I think it had an effect on the way the Biden administration views our relationship with China. Another thing that has happened is that China quite publicly has been talking to Russia about potentially increasing its support of Russia in the war in Ukraine. This is something that, you know, I wrote about a couple years ago, or pardon me, right after the invasion, that the war in Ukraine was actually the first war, or pardon me, the first battle of the second Cold War. That second Cold War being between the United States and China that we were fighting. Ultimately, that was going to be and was looking even at the time like it would end up as a proxy war between these one superpower, us, and a would-be superpower, China, in Ukraine with China supporting Russia, which they've not admitted to doing fully, although they did announce at the outset that they had an unlimited partnership with Russia with regard to security matters. But now they're looking at being much more openly supportive of of Russia in that war. And of course, we've been highly supportive of Ukraine in that war. China publicly flirting with kind of a more public alliance with Russia in that war, I think, along with the balloon, has changed the way the Biden administration views China, quite frankly, or views what it can say publicly about China. I think that there was early on a desire, and this was among some in the Trump administration too, not to allow the COVID pandemic to color the relationship between China and the United States. There was an effort to tamp down the you know, allegations that it might have leaked from a Chinese government lab. And part of that was an effort to placate the Chinese, because the Chinese sure as heck don't want that said, and they've done everything they can to prevent people from finding out whether it's true or not. Certainly from the scientific community in the United States, foremost, Tony Fauci, they did everything they could to tamp down that conversation as well. And even I think there were elements of that in the kind of split decision that the Biden administration announced on the COVID origin a couple years ago, it felt to me like they were pulling their punches a little bit and probably putting their finger on the scale because they didn't want to, you know, I mean, they didn't want to start a world war over our saying, well, hey, you guys let this leak from your from your lab. Something's changed now, I believe. I mean, who knows? But It's sure seeming like the message out of the federal government on this issue is much more straightforward, much more frank, much more willing to be in direct opposition to China. And I think that that's that's a good thing. I mean, it's not good that we're in direct opposition to China, but it's a reality. It's a reality that China is our main source of competition in the world right now. It is a reality that it is the only country 
in the world that combines the economic and military power to challenge the United States. And it's a fact that the Chinese government is operating concentration camps for the Uyghur minority in parts of that country. It's known that it's a really bad regime and they don't have our best interest in mind. They don't have the best interest of their own people in mind. And we've seen this movie before and we know what happens if we're not realistic about what that is. And part of being realistic about what that is is acknowledging that, yes, the, the government of China, the Chinese Communist Party, is more than happy to float a balloon over our nuclear sites and pretend and lie that it is a weather balloon, that, which no one really believes that, but they just put that out there. Also, potentially, that the worst outbreak of disease in 100 years resulted from a leak from a lab that we know U.S. inspectors believed was poorly managed before the leak occurred, killing millions and millions, tens of millions of people around the world, killing over a million Americans. We need to know that. We need to know that if that's true. And I'm hopeful that at long last, the folks that are looking at that issue and actually have access to classified information about that issue and actually know what they're talking about, unlike me, are able to speak more truly and, and, and fully because the American voters, it's looking increasingly likely, are going to be asked to make some sacrifices because of the threat that China poses to us. We've started to ramp back up our defense spending in large measure to deter and prepare for a possible conflict with China. Those have been fairly small increases thus far. We can expect that there will be bigger and that will squeeze out other spending and or require more debt spending in reality. And of course, at some point, if we do end up in a conflict with China, American soldiers are going to be asked to sacrifice their lives in that conflict. You know, you keep reading this stuff about how China keeps moving up the, the timeline for its possible invasion of Taiwan. If that happens tomorrow, the question is whether the United States is going to go to Taiwan's defense, which has been kind of a deliberately ambiguous position. It'll make a difference if the public believes that in addition to attacking Taiwan, China also unleashed COVID on the world. Inadvertently, they did, but they did, if they did, and that it caused all this terrible stuff that impacted every single person on the planet, certainly every person in the United States. If that's true, and if, that's, if there's at least really good reason to believe that it's true, then people need to know that. Because in the United States, unlike in China, citizens participate, at least indirectly, in decisions about things like whether we go to war to protect Taiwan or whether we ramp up military spending to contain China and to deter it. And if China played a role in developing the virus that became known as COVID and then accidentally allowing it to escape from a Chinese government lab and then covering that fact up, that's highly relevant. And that's why we need to keep looking at this stuff. I'm hopeful that the 
House of Representatives, which is holding hearings on this stuff, will do so in a sober and bipartisan manner as possible and will continue to get more information about what happened and that the public will know that information because the public is is going to be involved in, for a long time probably in dealing with our confrontation with China. Brief scandal-rama update bringing us back from the international stage to the Oregon stage. I gave you a pretty full update on this last week, and then I I wrote about it for Monday, I think. So on the two scandals we're following here, the first being that $500,000 donation to the Democratic Party of Oregon that was made in in the name of Nishad Singh, who was an executive for FTX, which was a now is a now bankrupt cryptocurrency trader. On that particular scandal, my last involvement was I sent a complaint to Ellen Rosenblum, who's the Attorney General of Oregon, asking her to investigate and ultimately refer to the Marion County District Attorney the investigation of potential crimes related to that. Nishad Singh has pled guilty to federal crimes that if he also did them in the case of the Oregon, the Oregon donation would also be state crimes. There's good reason to believe he he may have done that. Problem is that Shamia Fagan, the Oregon Secretary of State that currently is supposedly investigating this, has a massive conflict of interest. So I urged the Attorney General to take on that complaint. And because she has another conflict of interest, because she's buddies with the Democratic Party of Oregon, as well, just refer that out to the district attorney to investigate. They told me to pound sand. The next thing to do with regard to that angle would be, I think, to file what's called a petition for mandamus with the Marion County Circuit Court, which would be basically asking the court to force to force Rosenblum to investigate my complaint she is declining to do currently. I think that's the next legal mechanism, legal step to take. Drafting, I've never in my life drafted a petition for mandamus, but it's a fairly significant undertaking. There are filing fees associated and whatnot, but that's something that if I'm able to create more hours in the day somehow, that's something that I would love to do. We'll see if I'm able to pull that off. In the meantime, some folks have asked me what can they do kind of on the political end of things. And one thing they can do is contact your legislators. If you're concerned about that donation and whether or not the state of Oregon is doing anything to actually ferret out whether there was criminal activity and take action on it, if there was, contact your legislators, ask them to demand that Rosenblum take this investigation over from Shamia Fagan. Rosenblum has the legal authority to do that. She has a complaint, my complaint, pending in her office, which she can take action on, and she's just choosing not to at this point and deferring to Fagan. My faith that anything meaningful is going to come out of Fagan's investigation, which, by the way, includes a f- is led by a former deputy director of the Democratic Party of Oregon. I just have no faith that that's going to happen. So that's what you could do. Contact your legislators, tell them, hey, you know, forward them whatever Oregon Roundup piece you want to forward them as background. 
and ask them to take action on this. They can bring more attention and more public scrutiny to it. And ultimately, if the public were to stand up and say, hey, you know what, Fagan, this isn't cool. You've got too much of a conflict. We don't trust you to do this. They would find a way to, it wouldn't be in her care anymore. Let's put it that way. Rosenblum would take it up and maybe she'd do the the right thing then and and kick it out to to a district attorney who is unconflicted. The reality is, is that unless you read the Oregon Roundup, you're really not exposed to the kind of arguments that I've been making about how there is this massive conflict and there is a very high likelihood of criminal activity having happened. And there's all, because of the confluence of those two facts, there's a real chance that Oregon taxpayers will be shortchanged in their investigation or in an investigation and potential prosecution in the event that there is criminality. So it's a big deal. It's underreported outside of the Oregon Roundup. And believe it or not, most people in the state don't read the Oregon Roundup. So let people know about it. The other scandal in the scandal-rama is, of course, OLCC scandal and, and Governor Kotek's claim on February 8th that no one in her administration knew about that kind of bottle set-aside scandal before she terminated the director of the OLCC. I have a public records request pending in the Oregon governor's office to try to get documents out of them that would help elaborate the timeline of who knew what when. This is another one that I think I'm the only one covering this angle of it. Certainly it's been well covered. The scandal itself has been well covered and kind of the things that have happened at the OLCC in response to the bottle set aside scandal have been well covered. But the part of this that's of real interest to me, and I think only me at this point, is Kotek's claim that no one in her administration knew prior to terminating the director that he was implicated in this scandal. Honestly, my suspicion about that arose just from the fact that she included that in her letter because it seems like an extraneous piece of information to include. It sounds like someone covering their their butts, to be honest with you. I'd love to get to the bottom of that. I'm hopeful I get some good documents out of the state. They are probably at this moment preparing to tell me how much I need to pay them for the documents. They're entitled to charge a reasonable fee when they produce documents pursuant to a public records request. So I expect them to present me with an exorbitant fee, which I probably won't pay and probably try to narrow it down a little bit. So it's more reasonable. I also have public records requests pending with the Oregon Secretary of State's office pertaining to that other scandal in the scandal-rama, the $500,000 donation, donation to the Democratic Party of Oregon. That's all I've got today. Just to remind you, if you're not subscribed to the Oregon Roundup newsletter and podcast, go to oregonroundup.substack.com, hit subscribe, become a paid subscriber if you're really feeling it, and go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever is your podcast app of choice. Thanks for joining me. We'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.